For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realised in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So it was uh, January the 1st, 1962, and an executive from Decca Records dragged himself out of bed after a rough night to hear an audition for another young, hopeful band. The band had something had gone wrong. The band had pulled together a bunch of borrowed equipment. The audition hadn't gone well. The sound was a little bit ropey, but to be honest, it wasn't just the quality of the audition he wasn't really into. He said their whole sound was wrong. Their whole sound had no future. And his words have gone down in music history. He said, there's no gu gu guitar music has no future, Mr. Epstein. Guitar music has no future. Well, that band was the Beatles. They ended up doing reasonably well. And guitar music very much has a present and a future. Now that, that moment, what Dick Rowe, the uh, now one thing he's famous for, what he needed in that moment was someone just to grab him and say, look, I know you're feeling rough, and I know you personally don't feel that guitar music has much of a future, but please don't miss out. Don't miss out. Um, history's changing around you. This band is going to be the heart of history changing around you. This band is the future. Don't move on. Don't miss out. And in a sense, what Dick Rowe needed then is what Paul thinks we need as we come to the start of chapter 3 of, um, of Ephesians now this morning. Because he's, he's been um, taking us through over chapters 1 and 2 some extraordinary truths. He's been showing us in Christ. He's like, look at Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, you see God's love for us in eternity past. You see God's plan for us in eternity future. You see God's work to save us now in history. Look at Jesus. And he's just about 
to, um, to, to, to go and move on to the next part of his, of his um, letter to us, these words to us. But it's as if he stops in his tracks. And he wants to, to grab us by the lapels and say to us, look, don't miss out. Because before he moves on, he wants to make sure that we don't miss out. He says, look, what I've just said to you in Jesus, this glorious gospel, don't give up on this glorious gospel. It is, it is the truth of God that brings us to Christ. It is the power of God that brings God glory. And as we um, look at these verses, as we, as we uh, look at the very start of chapter 3, we can get a sense of why it is that Paul thinks we might miss out. Because he starts with chapter 3. The way that chapter 3 begins is Paul crying out to us, look, don't give up on the gospel. Don't give up on the gospel. So take a look at, um, at chapter 3, verse 1. He's, he's just taught, t- taken us through chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so now he's about to, um, he's moved to prayer. He wants to pray. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. And there in verse 1, he interrupts himself. He interrupts a sentence that he doesn't actually continue until verse 13. Jump down to verse 13, just over the page. So he goes, I'm sorry, verse 14, he he carries on. So verse 14, over that page. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So basically, our passage this morning is one long interruption. It's Paul tripping up as he's about to move on. He doesn't want to move on to prayer because he's afraid we might miss out on what he's just preached. And just look at what it is that trips him up at the start of verse 1. Again, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. Ah. Look down at the way it ends, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. You see, Paul knows that that, that having heard chapters 1 and chapters 2, having heard of the great power plan of God to everything centered on the Lord Jesus, having proclaimed the great power of God to bring himself glory in a saved people in Jesus, he suddenly trips himself up and he goes, oh, wait a second, they're thinking of me here in prison. They're thinking of me here suffering. They're going to look at me and think, that plan doesn't seem like it's the truth. That power doesn't really seem like something I can trust. I hear what you're saying, Paul, and I look at how you're living, and I'm not sure which way to go. So he's conscious that having heard chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's worried that the, that the Ephesians, their eyes are just going to glaze over and go, that is not a truth that I can believe in. That is not a power I can trust. And just think of what it would be like. You know, Ephesus had the temple of Artemis. So you could see a kind of artist's impression of it dominating the whole city. It's one of the seven wonders or was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And, um, and in Acts, we hear it's just about how important that temple is and the cry. They would have seen that temple and heard the cry, the cry that was almost like their sort of um, national anthem. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And just imagine what it would have been like for the Ephesians, for an Ephesian Christian at that time. Imagine that. You're a kid. 
you're a kid and um, you're, I don't know, maybe you're 10, 12 years old and just when you were a kid, this guy Paul came to your city and your parents heard the message about the Lord Jesus and your parents believed that message about the Lord Jesus. That was like when you were a kid and now you're sort of 10 or 12, uh, maybe a bit older like some of the pathfinders here who are among us and you're going to school and you've realized that in those 10 years since your parents started following Jesus, well, actually, your parents have missed out. They've had to kind of lose their jobs, lose some of the opportunities. A bunch of money is made in that temple through the worship of idols. A bunch of contacts are made because that's the social center of everything. When at school, people join in with the chance of great is Artemis of the Ephesians. In your head, you know, well, we believe Jesus is Lord as Paul preached to us in the gospel. And actually, you've known that over these years, that, that, um, that your family has suffered, that you feel like an outsider. In fact, when you don't join in, everybody thinks that you're maybe being a bit hateful and antisocial. And then on Sunday, this letter comes through and you're reading it and your heart thrills with chapter one as you hear of God's love for you in eternity past to eternity future. Your heart thrills with that description of the community that God has called you to be. But then on Monday morning, as you go to school, you're, you're conscious of the cost that that is. And you look at that temple. Should we go back? Go back a couple of slides. Go back just to the temple. You look at that temple. You hear that call and you think to yourself, am I going to really give this up? Well, for a message preached by a suffering and imprisoned Paul. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians or is Jesus truly Lord? As we've seen, like we might not see a temple, we might not hear that same cry, but we have something that's not too different. We don't hear great is Artemis of the Ephesians, we hear great is greed, great is power, great is pride. And we might think to ourselves, well, there's a cost of not joining in. We might be feeling like we don't belong. We might be, here, be heard as if we are being hateful. Which is why Paul said to them then and to us now, don't give up on the gospel. I know that as you look at my chains, you think that this is a truth that you can't believe in. You see my suffering and you think this is a power you can't really trust. But don't give up on the gospel. Don't go back to the temple. And he continues with this chapter to give us two reasons why. And the first reason follows straight on. He says, don't give up on the gospel because it is indeed tr the truth that brings you to Christ. Despite my chains, this plan, this is the truth that brings us to Christ. He, he have a look at verses two to um, uh, this is the bit two on to six, but just to verse two to five, he, he describes the way this truth has come from God. So he says, "Look, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, the mystery that was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly." Paul says, "Look, verse two, God appointed me." I've, I've been appointed by God. Verse 3 and 4 that talk about mystery. He's saying, look, I've been appointed by God to unveil the whole plan of God. And verse 5, 
I've, I've been appointed by God to unveil the plan of God fully and finally and completely. Look at verse 5. This mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. Paul is saying, look, I have been set aside by God. I have been entrusted with the truth from God. This truth that the plan and the purposes of God are found in Jesus so that this truth might be fully and finally known in the message that I'm writing to you, that you are reading from me. Paul is saying this is the truth. I mean, you could think of it... um, to, to understand verses 2 to 5, you could uh, think of uh, past the parcel. You can understand verses 2 to 5 if you can understand past the parcel. And what he's saying is a bit like past the parcel. Um, all the way through, you know, when, when past the parcel, you've got the present and it's being passed on. But what happens? You, each different person, when the music stops, they, they unwrap a layer. And sometimes, as you unwrap a layer, oh, you get a little taste. Get a little taste, some squashies there, fell on the floor, three-second rule, we're okay. And, and then another layer gets unwrapped. And he's saying that all the way through the Bible, it's God's, oh, there we go, some more taste, all the way through different stages of the Bible history, different layers are being unwrapped, different truths and tasters are being given to God's people along the way, until Paul says, the music stopped with me. The music stopped with me. I've got the present, and I'm opening it up, and now, here it is. What you tasted before, you fully and finally enjoy. That's what Paul is describing all the way through. So before, when it was wrapped up, did we have the present? Did they have the present in the Old Testament? Yes. Oh, but no. They hadn't had it fully and finally unwrapped. And that is what Paul is saying that he's doing. That mystery is now unveiled. Paul is saying, the music stopped with me. God has entrusted me with this truth. I have unveiled this truth and I am holding this truth for you, for you to enjoy. They may not, may or may not be at the back later on for you to enjoy. Maybe it's for me to enjoy a bit later, the squashies. But that is what Paul is saying in two to five. This is the truth. The music stops with me. I'm holding it out before you come and enjoy it. And look at what it is that he's unwrapped. Because he says this is the truth. And the truth that he's unwrapped is the fact that this gospel brings you to Jesus. That's where he gets to. It's like verse 2 to 5. He's, um, he's unwrapping it. And verse 6, he says this is the mystery. That word, unwrapping the present, is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, through the gospel. As he unwraps it, he says, look, Gentiles, non-Jews, everybody is brought together, and just look at that description, fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus, that together, Jew and Gentile, can know salvation in Jesus. You see, when... um, God split the world into Jew and Gentile. When God split the world into Jew and Gentile, he was putting into the heart of history an illustration of the problem at the heart of humanity. 
He was saying, just like this world, this split between humanity was to be a picture of the split between humanity and God. There's God there, there's us here. There's the Jews there, there's, there's, there's the Gentiles here. That split there was to be a picture of the split here. And so he wrapped up the gospel with that split so that he could show people, look, there's this problem that you see pictured between Jews and Gentiles. That's a picture of the problem of us and God. And now that Jesus has come, that problem between us and God, well, there's a way through it. It's been healed. There's a way for it to be healed in Jesus. And so because that problem is solved in Jesus, we don't need that wrapping paper anymore. That wrapping paper, that picture of the problem has been set aside by Jesus. Does that make sense? You see, what he's saying is so much more than simply all different kinds of people can be getting along. He's saying this one picture of the division between God and us, pictured in the division between Jew and Gentile. If that Jew and Gentile problem has been solved, then a new world has begun. Humanity can be healed in Jesus. A new world has begun in Jesus. A new history has started in Jesus. Humanity can be healed in Jesus. The message is not just, hey, everybody get along. The message is everything has changed. Everything has changed in Jesus. Um, It it makes me think of uh, this movie. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, Goodbye Lenin. And the setup is, it's from the early 2000s, um, the setup is that Alex lives with his mom, Christiane, and his mom, at the late 80s, like early, like 1989 or something, has gone into a coma. While she's in a coma, the Berlin Wall has come down, the Germany has been reunified, and, and then when she, when she wakes up out of the coma, the doctor said, good news, she's woken up out of the coma, bad news, don't surprise her with anything. She must have no shocks because otherwise she could lapse back again. They they were like, wait, wait, what? I mean, so what they do is they turn her apartment into this little bubble of East Germany. Sorry, I I don't know if I said, this is set in East Germany, in East Berlin. That's kind of an important detail, okay? So it's set there in East Germany, East, East, East Berlin, and they set up her apartment as this little bubble of East Germany of East Berlin there, and um, so that she can just live. And so they, they, they dig out all this old food, all this old furniture, all the old uniforms they had from their Soviet days. They even set up fake news to make her feel more at home. But there's this sort of tragedy alongside the comedy in this movie, because the world has changed and she doesn't know it. She is living in the past of a country that has no future. You know, when that wall came down, it was a signal that the communist regime was over and a new world had begun. Now that flat might be comfortable, that flat might be familiar, and there's a way in which both the mother needs it, but the son also kind of likes it, likes living in that past. But it's living in the past of a country and a culture that's just got no future. Well, Paul is saying that something even more seismic has happened in the coming of the Lord Jesus. In Jesus, 
The wall has come down. In Jesus, reunification is possible. The wall that stood between us and God. And so the wall that stood between Jew and Gentile, that wall has been broken down. In Jesus, a new world has begun. In Jesus, a healed humanity can be found. And so that flat in Goodbye Lenin was comforting. That fake news was familiar, but it was fake. It was false. It was living in the past of a country with no future. And so to trust in Jesus, Paul is saying, to trust in Jesus is to step out, step through the door of that flat, to step out into the real world, to step out into the new and true life that has begun in him. So to go back to the temple, temple of Artemis, however oppressive it might seem, to join in with the chants of great is Artemis of the Ephesians, That is to go back to, that is to join in with a country with no future, a culture with no future. This is the new, this is the true humanity that has begun in Jesus. And so the Ephesians then and us today need to know that the gospel that we read in Paul's letter, the gospel that we read in God's word is the truth that brings us to Christ So when we feel the tug of the temple, as it were, when we feel that we just want to join in with the call of our culture, great is whatever idols most attract us. We need to look and see the new world that has begun in Jesus, the truth of that new world that Paul preaches, that breaks in to the familiar but fake lies with which we're so tempted and that surround us. And so Paul is encouraging us, don't give up on the gospel, It's the truth that brings us to Jesus. But the rest of this passage, he goes on, says that's not all. That truth is also powerful. And it is power that brings glory to God. So if Paul began in verses um, 2 onwards, talking about the message that God had given him, he now describes the power that is at work through him. He says this is God's power that brings him glory. Just listen to the description of the power. It's over the page um, of, in verse 7 now. He says, This gospel, this message, that I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I was the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says, this this message that I have received, it's not just the truth of God, it is the power of God. You could think it's a bit like this time last year, when I don't you remember when um, Charles III acceded to the throne. Up and down the country, there were heralds proclaiming the news of Charles's accession to the throne. And when you hear that herald, well, first of all, It's not their words. You've got kind of this massive document sealed with the royal seal. You know, they're not expected to improvise. That is the truth from the crown that they are proclaiming. So it's, but it's not just the truth about what's happening. They don't just tell us that a king has acceded to the throne. Their proclamation is a way of establishing and asserting his reign. 
Their words weren't their words. Their words came with the authority and power of the king. And so that's what Paul is saying about his words. His words come with the power of the king. As Paul proclaims the gospel, he's like a herald. He's like a herald declaring that Jesus is king. He's calling others to acknowledge him, to bow the knee and recognize that there is a king on the throne. He's not just showing us Jesus on the throne. He is, as he proclaims this message, asserting and establishing that reign. And that is what happens as we go on in 9, and tw- uh, nine to 12. Um, this powerful message in 7 and 8, so 7 and 8, it's like we have this powerful message And then 9 to 12, we see the way that powerful message brings glory to God. This this powerful message is is, is to bring to light, look at verse 9, for everyone, what was the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access in confidence, with confidence through our faith in him. You see, the plan of God in verse 9 is that in verse 10, God might be glorified in the church. As the gospel brings us to Jesus, the gospel brings glory to God because all of heaven marvels at what God has done, his goodness, generosity, grace, and love. I don't know if you remember the... um, uh, 2012 Olympics, the Olympic cauldron, and the way there was this big sort of mystery about what would the Olympic cauldron be like, and it, and, and it was kind of shrouded, and nobody kind of was really sure what it would be, and at the start of the opening ceremony, people, different nations would come in with these different petals, a bit like torches, and then those were sort of brought together, and then there was this suddenly this moment when we realized what would happen, where those petals were, were, were sort of lifted together, and brought together into one single flame as they were risen up. Each country brought their petal to the center of the stadium. And and as, as they were lifted up into a single glorious flame, the whole stadium, and in fact, the whole world was watching. And I don't know if you remember, if you listened back, when I was listening back to, to this moment, to the commentary, there's almost like this gasp in the stadium. There's this cheer as people suddenly clock and suddenly understand and see it for what it is. It's beautiful. It's powerful. That moment, that imagery, it is a bit like in that stadium, they were being invited to say, look, this is what sport can do. This is what London 2012 can do. And isn't it beautiful? And isn't it glorious? Nations brought together. Nations unified. And that crowd in the stadium, the watching world, were meant to glory in what would be achieved. Well, Paul says that this is God's plan for the church. As he draws us together, 
as he drew us together this morning, as he draws us together Sunday by Sunday, as he draws us together and draws us to himself, as he lifts us to himself, the whole of the heavens, like that stadium, gasp and cheer. They will gasp with amazement, roar with celebration. They will rejoice in wonder. They will say, this is what God has achieved in Jesus. This is what God has done. Here, as they look at us drawn together, we see his goodness. Here, as he sees, uh, as as the heavens look at us drawn together to him. Here we see his love in this people, in, in, in this people drawn together, drawn to God. We see God's glory in his goodness, love, and grace. Every time we gather as a church, It's like the petals of that cauldron coming together in a single flame. This is the work of God's power. This is what brings God glory. As all of heavens look at this, they praise, as it says in verse 10, the manifold wisdom, the multifaceted, beautiful, glorious wisdom and goodness of God. All of God's purposes, all of his plans come to this moment of his glory in the church brought together by his son. So there's no other purpose. There is no other plan to which we can give our lives to. There are so many other alternative visions and plans and purposes that might shine bright before us, that might dazzle us, that might distract us. But none of them are a flame that will last into eternity. It was really interesting. As I was watching this video back, it was really moving. Lump in the throat, goosebumps kind of stuff. And um, I suddenly realized the music they had going um, behind it was from Pink Floyd's um, song Eclipse, which ends Dark Side of the Moon. That's really dramatic. Then I suddenly realized that the lyrics of Dark Side of the Moon is about everything you do, everything. Everything is drawn together, everything. And I don't know if anybody here kind of knows the, the, the tune already, but it goes, everything under the sun is in tune. But the sun is eclipsed by the moon. And it ends with that note of darkness and then a heartbeat which stops. I think the producer of that video package either hadn't been paying attention to the Pink Floyd lyrics or had been paying attention to the Bible. Because it's this one moment expressing the glory and what humanity can achieve. And behind it is the soundtrack going, oh yeah, but this is going to end. This has no future. This ends in darkness. This one great expression of that glory is wrapped around with this music saying, yeah, but even this will end. And so Paul is saying all those other flames that might dazzle us and might attract us, they're going to fade into darkness. But this is the glory. This is the eternal glory achieved by God's power in the gospel. What else would we give our lives to? What else can we entrust our futures to? And so Paul is saying to us this morning, he's saying, don't don't miss out. Don't miss out. Don't give up on the gospel. Don't give up on the gospel. It is the truth that brings us to Christ. It is the power that brings glory to God. Basically, he's saying, don't be this guy. Don't be this guy. Don't look at Paul and think Paul is on the wrong side of history. Don't look at the gospel and think the gospel has no future. Don't be this guy. No. 
don't give up on the gospel because it is the truth that brings us to Jesus. And it is the power that brings glory to God now and forever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that in the church, your manifold, faceted, beautiful wisdom and goodness is made known, not just to us, but to the heavenly hosts. Father, please, would you help us to, when we feel the tug of of the temple or the idols, whatever they might be, the tug and tempt us away, would you remind us of this truth? Would you remind us of this power? And give us that confidence in the gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.